millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And three, two. <laughs> All right. Okay, everybody's did recording. You hit record? Yeah, I hit record. I got little waves on mine. So that's and this is Green Book, right? Yeah. Oh right. no. Um yeah. Oh, oopsie. <laughs> oh no. All right. Here we go. Y'all can hear that music, right? Yeah. Prison. We're in prison In Tom Hanks' bladder So inflamed He can hardly pee But Duncan Michael Clark Duncan He's got a Christ-like power that could end his suffering. The only problem is he's got the death penalty. Green, green Beautiful. 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nation. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be strapped up to old Sparky and fried like a sunny side up egg at Denny's. That sounds good. <laughs> and as always, we are joined by Corey Clifford, Howdy. a.k.a. Oh, a.k.a. what? Mrs. Jingles. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> I mean, I'll take that. I'll Everybody take knows it. you'll do anything for a piece of dry, cold toast. <sighs> I do about, love bread. Stomped, stomped to a pulp <laughs> and brought back to life with supernatural. That's how I feel life. every time I go to bed and then I wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, I'm brought back to life. Uh, and folks, we have two very, very special guests joining us on the pod today. It is a creative duo that Justin and I have had the great pleasure of knowing and collaborating with and watching movies with for many, many years now. They are two extremely funny actors, improvisers, and TV writers whose work you've probably seen on shows such as Young Sheldon, I Feel Bad, and Duncanville, and who you can currently see marching front and center at the picket lines, leading the crowds at Netflix, fighting the good fight as captains of the ongoing WGA strike. We are thrilled to be joined by our brothers and Hanks. <laughs> Nick Mondernock and Anthony Geo. Yes. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you. Appreciate it. We really that. appreciate you both uh, taking the time out of, you know, fighting for the television and film writers of our industry and and fighting for the integrity of our industry as a whole. Uh, we, we we really appreciate well, it. Well, we told uh, the AMPTP, you guys can produce projects for another for two hours. <laughs> Y'all can come back for two hours. All those productions, you get, you get two hours. It's a, we, we're in a two-hour armistice for a cinema. <laughs> Today was the deadline for the DGA vote. Oh, and That's we did right. vote. We did Jack vote. We did vote. If we could say, we could say on the podcast because so many people on Twitter are saying. Yeah, well, what, well, when, by the time this comes out, everybody will know the results, and so I can sort of decide what, what the. But <laughs> yeah, we voted no. Yeah, a lot of good things in the agreement for sure, but yeah, we just it we does decide. not help everybody. It does yeah. not protect everybody. It's not the strongest agreement across the board, and it feels like in a moment like this, when we have one union that is striking for benefits that are being uh, denied of them, it just only feels right that, especially since it's not a perfect agreement. Easy no for us. So that might be the most transparency we get about the margins of the vote. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, now for the uh, yes alt version. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do leave room for rebuttals. <laughs> we should um, also introduce them as a part of our um, yeah secret Tom Hanks club. There is a, a a larger significance to having Nick and Geo on the pod today, uh, and that is because I would say for the last. Six plus years, the four of us, me, Justin, Nick, and Gio have had a. Well, okay. Um, so Corey is also part of this. Um, as well. I would like everybody on this motherfucking podcast to know <laughs> that I have been there for, I would say, 75%. Probably 75%. Much like this podcast, maybe I wasn't invited to be a part of it at first, but I weaseled my way in there and I sat and I watched those movies. Absolutely. <laughs> Yes, Absolutely. we have had a we have had a Tom Hanks movie club. We call it Hanks Night, and and for years, every few months, we will get together uh, and we will watch a Tom Hanks movie, and we'll just hang out 
afterwards, talk about it. There's always a themed food and drinks that we try to come up with and bring. In fact, in honor of that, today I have created a uh, green mule. Oh, oh yeah. very nice. Looks Which good. is basically just a, a nice. Moscow mule with a bunch of mint yeah. leaves from my yard. Which, by the way, as I was out collecting these mint leaves, I stepped on a bee and it stung me in the bottom of the foot. I heard no. Jack screaming from Ooh. the backyard. I mean, I was scream I had not heard. No, you were. I, I thought, was in pain. For I thought sure. that you had maybe fallen and broken your leg. Is what I it thought. Hurt. The first thing I thought. Oh. It hurt like a bitch. If we only had the Christ-like touch of Michael Clark. Donald. <laughs> Any of you even remember why? We started doing this. I honestly don't know what began this tradition. We got together for, I know we got together for a movie night. And I, was it coincidental that we did two Hanks in a row? I, Maybe I, that's I, what it was. <laughs> and I think that we were just like, let's let's keep it rolling. And mm-hmm. then we did it for a while. And then we watched the Polar Express. And we all. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. a dark, dark It was the one two punch everything. of Polar <laughs> Express and then Pandemic that essentially pumped the brakes on, yes. on Hanks night. We kind of went through all the classics first. Like we hit yes, all the really early days yeah. good ones. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, d- I mean, I think we were doing this in 2017, right? If not before. Mm-hmm. So it, it's we've been doing it for a while. I do also remember, though, that from the beginning, it was suddenly like, hmm, well, this movie wasn't as good as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yes, but, there was a yeah, lot of it's that. It's still fun. And but <laughs> credit, that happened more times than it did it. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But the experience was always we would often like. Hanks himself was rarely <laughs> yeah. the issue, though. True. That's true. Yes. That is very, He's very usually pretty issue. consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's often like that man was very mean to that often woman. <laughs> yeah. I remember you guys were it? horrified by you got mail. Yes. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Wait, I think we've we've misremembered this. Most of the romantic comedies, we were sort of like, there's one one of these people is always a psychopath in these movies. Yes. Yeah. He is certainly the psychopath in that one. There's also a, a little bit of a trope and a, a few of them we picked up on is the, like, if you wanted in the 90s, I guess the 80s too, to signify that like a um, person is not worth dating, you would just give them allergies or <laughs> yes. some some something that they, they can't control. Yeah, like, I remember that's, that's true. A huge yeah, part of you've got mail. She I think breaks up was. with Greg Kinnear just because he like can't stop sneezing or something. Yeah, he's just an ill person, and so she's like chronic illness. This. Yes, chronic illness was a marker of like we all that we got to get rid of this. <laughs> Uh, Mo- most importantly, it spawned my thirty-first. I was just party. about That's to true. say yeah. that. Yeah, was yeah. that after the movie nights had already been oh, yeah. done? Mm-hmm. Okay, that they've was been fantastic. going on Wait, for a while. Justin, break down that most epic party, please. Yeah, that was fantastic. It was a Tom Hanks themed birthday party where everybody had to dress up like Tom Hanks. So I think we got a at least 30, 35 people, forty people all in one house all dressed as Tom Hanks from different movies. We'll have to post some of those pictures on the Instagram because mm-hmm. they were but there, good. We decorated and everybody turned parts. out for it. Yeah, everybody showed up. Uh, people were very, there was a costume contest. People were very awesome. competitive. There was- The mm-hmm. entryway we had um, hung uh, shrimp was the whole entry. <laughs> the Among whole other things. entryway was shrimp. <laughs> yeah, the whole house, each- portion of the house had a different theme we had an actual zoltar yeah Is that, that was wasn't that his name from big awesome. the, the machine yeah. Yeah. Zoltar. yeah i had to rent a truck i had to get uh event insurance 
<laughs> I drove two hours to take this machine. This was the time in our life where Jack, Justin, and I would go spend so much money on parties yes. and go so yeah. themed out. Like both Jack and well, and me, mm-hmm. we went to an actual costume store and had somebody like fully design our <laughs> outfits. And Justin, because awesome. Justin dressed up as Tom Hanks from Saving Private Ryan, and the, <laughs> and the, the yes. wardrobe place was really hesitant to let him rent out an army outfit, I guess just for like stolen valor reasons. They thought maybe you would go around acting like a soldier and you had to do, go out, of, you had to do some- You had to enlist. You enlisted. <laughs> I served, years. I served. Yeah, yeah, everything was like real World War II. Uh, God, it was the, great. The, my Fatigues. costume saw, saw death. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was so great. Worth the, it. the Zoltar machine, to see it in real life is yeah. like really stunning. It's like, it was like meeting oh. Bugs Bunny. It was crazy. <laughs> it, it, it was just because it's a character in the movie. Yeah, it's such a huge part. Do you all remember what you dressed up as? Which Tom Hanks? Uh, I was Hanks from Apollo thirteen. So lo- mm-hmm. Lovell. I was Hanks from A League of Their Own. I was Hanks from Lady yeah. Killers. Um, I felt a little ashamed uh, seeing how <laughs> how all in y'all went. I was uh, a still of Hanks from The Burbs. Oh, oh, yeah. just wearing shorts and a button down shirt. Yeah. Hey, that's still that's hey, still a thing. Still yeah, Hanks. that's still Hanks. I had a little like I had like a little like 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 just shot of it on my phone, and so someone would come up to me, look unimpressed, but then I'd show them the, the yes. phone, and they'd also look unimpressed <laughs> as well. You're right. I just also mentioned when I went to that party, I was only ten years old, and this all time. Well, now that the listeners have plenty of context for our relationship and our relationship to Tom Hanks, Justin, tell us what movie we are talking about today. We are talking about a movie from 1999, the greatest year in film. It's called The Green Mile, and it's directed by Frank Darabont. John Coffey, you have been condemned to die in the electric chair by a jury of your peers, sentence imposed by a judge in good standing in this state. Questions? Do you leave the light on after bedtime? I know violent men. I deal with them day in and day out. There doesn't seem to be any real violence in him. Until he kills a couple of little girls. John Coffey is a murderer. I don't think he did it at all. Take my hand, both. You see for yourself. You're talking about a miracle. I do not see God putting a gift like that in the hands of a man who would kill a child. I dreamed of you. We found each other in the dark. Like he dropped out of the sky. This is the story of a miracle. That happened here, where I work. On the Green Mile. Fuck yeah, dude. Damn. God, that's cheesy. I gotta admit, though, when Patricia Clarkson's voice came in there, I had to fight back the tears literally just now. And I had a jump scare when I heard Gary Sinise. (laughs) How many times did you all cry in this movie? Uh, I got teared up three times and I actually shed them one time. Yeah. Mm. There were moments in this movie as we go through it, which I will talk about, that I was like, 
This is so cheesy that it's I can't cry now. This is like a cheesy I've kind movie. of for, I've kind of forgot how it's corny. <laughs> well, before we get too far into this current viewing, I want to know from everybody, what was your relationship to this movie before? Did any of y'all read this book uh, ever? Did, did you see this movie in theaters? What was your relationship with it? This was a this was a VHS watch for me. And at the time, you know, again, this would have been like, you know, probably like 95, 96, just you know, all the facets that uh, Corey is touching on, we, uh, we went to, none of it was even close to mine. <laughs> it was just constant tears. It was just constant, yeah. like mm-hmm. uh, uncritical, constant tears. Yes. <laughs> watching that movie. As, as a kid growing up in the uh, in the 90s, when I saw the uh, um, the framework is going to be uh, a, a old person remembering something, mm-hmm. I, it was over. Yeah. <laughs> Tears, I was like, it's, right. I was like, I was just beside myself. There's something about that frame. Oh, that yeah. So devastating. I knew as a child, I yes. knew at that, what, I was maybe like 10, 12 years old. I was like, I'm mm-hmm. dead. Oh, yeah. I'm, I am absolutely fucking dead private ryan has the same <laughs> yes. framework oh, yes. yeah private ryan does the same titanic, titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. geo what was it what was your history with this film i i don't have uh i have a recollection of maybe seeing maybe seeing it so my mom was a librarian uh um and she would bring home vhs tapes and i remember a few movies sat on our VCR on top of our VCR for months because <laughs> she put, put i don't want to rat her out but when you're a librarian <laughs> There. There's no due dates. Due dates. <laughs> Ooh. So that's that, a nice that, perk. It's, so, it's corrupt. That's better than it's, the president of the United States. It's fucking corrupt. She has diplomatic immunity. That's uh, fe- we're talking about federal prison time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> My mom's going down. Um, but the uh, I, I but I don't remember really watching it. Watching it until we watched it together. I think oh, I so was that maybe, was kind of your first experience. I, I think so. Uh, um, so I, I didn't have a, a, a lot of nostalgia for it but some of it felt familiar too and i was Mm. like why is that so maybe i'd caught it on amc a little bit yeah this is a big tv movie it comes on tv quite a big tv movie which when i looked it up to watch like it's currently on max um uh until david zasloff sells it and throws (laughs) it in the fire um but um it's not also if when steven I, spielberg has anything to do with it <laughs> maybe spielberg will swoop in uh, uh, but it's also it's seemingly on 16 hours a day on amc which yeah. is like, <laughs> because of the length of the movie that's really only like three or four times but still. <laughs> i was gonna say it's it's a funny length to be played on tv because you know i mean the the, the tricky thing about when you like a tv movie is you get dropped in so mm-hmm. with a three-hour movie, there's you have almost zero percent chance of starting at the actual beginning. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> you missed multiple times. It's almost you know right. You're not capturing a, a lot, but so not a, not a lot of nostalgia, whatnot. But when I uh, I, I, f- I think maybe it was the string of t- Hanks movies in a row. I, Corey, I think hit the nail on the head for me, where I was just like. I bet this worked like really yeah. well for like when it came out, but uh, um, it did, it just felt kind of kind of cheesy, corny, mm-hmm. a little corny at times. And I also think that um, you know I, I'm a fan of a lot of Stephen King's stuff. Some of his magical realism just like <laughs> does not translate right. well, um, and you can feel sometimes like. Why was like why was Tommy Knockers a TV movie, but this was you know sometimes you can kind of feel it's like I I wonder what those decisions were Mm -hmm. back in the eighties and nineties. So yeah, I I don't know. We can get into that a little later as we get into the movie, but some of that stuff just feels like a little like 
I don't know. Uh, um, maybe I'm used to like um, justification of magical realism. Yeah, like, it, it spends a long time before it introduces any sort yeah. of supernatural stuff. And then when it does, it kind of just casually <laughs> drops it in there and... <laughs> You, as well as kind of everybody else in the movie, sort of just sort of like, well, that I guess that's happening right now. And then you just kind of keep the movie just moves along with it. Something about that I do kind of like that they don't, you know, it's the movie's not like being advertised as this sort of supernatural thing. It's most, I mean, this movie sort of, uh, I think even at the time was presented as a a drama, but you know, Mm -hmm. with Stephen King, there's probably going to be a little bit more. Justin, how about you? What was uh, did you watch this uh, when it came out in 1999 or or close to that time? Pretty much same story over here. VHS rental, uh, legally rented it from Mm. uh, the video store, (laughs) returned it when it was due. Uh, My parents were very knew a thing about that. Yeah, parents were always making sure we we returned a day early. Um, Wow. But yeah, my mom was a huge Shawshank fan. The whole family really. the movie in particular, not the not no the, the prison. She was a fan of the, <laughs> the real prison. Um, yeah, huge fan of Shawshank the movie. I was a huge Stephen King fan, but I don't, I think there were a handful of movies like uh, Stand by Me that wasn't very clear to me at the time that this was a Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I didn't point. I didn't yeah, see yeah. Green Mile as a Stephen King movie. I just saw it as like, ooh, is the filmmaker who did Shawshank. Yeah, and, it stands uh, apart from a lot of his body of work. For yeah. sure. But I think the corniness to me is no different than the corniness that M. Night Shyamalan does in his movies. So to give mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan a pass, but not this movie, I think there's certain things that I forgive in the same way I forgive M. Night for a lot mm-hmm. of his stuff being really corny, just because I can watch it as its own genre um, of sincere movies. The movie is mm-hmm. just bleeding with sincerity, <laughs> juxtaposed with a lot of movies today that I feel like are so pessimistic or nihilistic or uh, snarky or meta or whatever. Yep. I just really appreciate making space for, for films like this. You know, That's where, where I'm at, too. That's yeah. the There's a vulnerability yeah. to being mm-hmm. that sincere. And yeah. I can't help but admire it when somebody is like full-throatedly just being like, I'm going to try to make you cry right now. <laughs> I'm not going to put any sort of joke or twist on it. I just want to like touch you in your heartstrings. You don't see that that often anymore. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I, I also like the core cast, like Hanks and his supporting cast, mm-hmm. including the the the, uh, the the prisoners. But like have I, the moment I saw Barry Pepper. Oh, what a so good. We need more of him. What Where actor. is he? We need Where more. the hell's Pepper, man? I love <laughs> Pepper. He's so every time, good. Yes. Every time. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, he's kind of a snackety snack in this movie, I gotta uh, say. Always, always. Handsome, 25th handsome. hour. Yeah. Uh Corey, how about you? I mean, very similar. I my mom was a huge Stephen King fan, mm-hmm. but I and she's we like had all of his books and she always was reading them, but I don't really know if I ever until like adulthood realized like Stephen King wrote the green mile. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's so my mom read all of his horror books. I mean, I remember this movie, like everybody taught, did he get nominated for an Oscar for this? Did he win an Oscar for this? Tom Hanks. No, he didn't get nominated. No, uh, Michael Clark Duncan did, but he did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like I remember the, the Oscar buzz around the movie. Mm Per every episode, I don't really remember the first time I watched it, but I know that I've seen this movie countless times. Yeah, mm-hmm. my family was a all around a pretty big Stephen King family when it came to the books. 
And I do remember that this this actually did not was not didn't come out as a as one single book. It came out as six smaller little uh, novellas that were all titled The Green Mile and then sort of subtitled whatever you know the the little chapters were that's, called. But that's right. That's right. He released yeah, yeah. them you know one at a time. And I remember us having a couple of them, and they never interested me because I could tell by the looks of the cover that they weren't the scary mm-hmm. but we didn't have all of them i just remember having like two or three of them laying around and then when the movie came out uh they then released it in its full version and it had tom hanks on the cover of it and then i remember my parents getting that um so it was always in the house i don't think i ever sat down and read the whole thing i probably went through and skimmed stuff because i did get into the movie when it came out i didn't see it in theaters but rented it we kind of watched it as a family everybody enjoyed it and i instantly was like i want to have that and so i at some point bought that thick double tape of it and watched it pretty frequently i remember the first time watching it i had a little bit of that stephen king spook factor where i was nervous mm-hmm. to watch the movie and honestly being pretty satisfied by the horror moments in this movie this movie when it goes hard I mean, actually Percy is maybe the scariest stephen king yeah. character there are a handful of yeah i was gonna say i think he's one of the best villains of all time 100 percent agree. Yeah, I agree it's one of those roles that is so good that it typecasts you because people mm. think that's who you really are where is that that actor well he has you you probably have forgotten, but he. Oh my God, he's the one who married the sixteen-year-old. Yes. He married oh, the sixteen-year-old. Yes. I forgot about that. And he that. was on like celebrity yeah. couples counseling or whatever. Courtney that show Stoden or something like that. Yes, wow. that's, that's right. He um, was on uh, on Lost. He was like uh, one of the Dharma of. And even watching like um, oh, before we go too much further, Justin, did you watch this on a physical copy? No, I streamed it. Streamed it. I have a physical copy, old DVD. It has like a short making of on it. Uh, pretty decent transfer, but it's one that I had since the beginning. As Justin mentioned, 1999 was an incredible year for movies, often titled the best movie year ever. Uh, I'll give you all a list of the movies that came out. The Sixth Sense, Magnolia, The Matrix, Fight Club, The Blair Witch Project, Eyes Wide Shut, Office Space, Being John Malkovich, American Beauty, The Insider, Boys Don't Cry, Rushmore, The Virgin Suicides, American Pie, Three Kings, Sleepy Hollow, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, The Limey, 10 Things I Hate About You, and of course, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Um, Holy shit. Huge year. Yeah, so many genres. And like some Mm -hmm. genres kind of being established in the year. Like it feels like this kind of like Matrix, I mean, the Matrix was then ripped off Ad infinitum mm-hmm. <laughs> to this mm-hmm. day. Uh, uh, God, I didn't know. I forgot about Rushmore. Mm-hmm. I forgot Magnolia awesome. was this year. I mean, like wow, just just wow. incredible, incredible output this year. Green Mile isn't often mentioned in that like list of great ones. You know, obviously Fight Club, Blair Witch, all this, all the ones that were sort of groundbreaking. But yeah, it kind of gets lumped in with like the Academy fluff. Some other stuff that came out that was nominated for Oscars that year was like the Cider House Rules. Music of the Heart. Oh my God, I loved the Cider House Rules I saw it in theaters. I was like, this is the hottest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but like kind of utterly forgettable now. Like, yeah. Nobody and talks I did, about Why it. was it hot? Because Charlie's Theron and Jake Gyllenhaal. Was it Jake mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal? I think so, yeah. No, it was Tobey Maguire. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. They Toby like kiss Maguire. in a house and she's like topless in one scene. And I was like, wow, this is <laughs> cinema. I mean, Michael Caine too, didn't he? Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that makes me laugh, as you're, even as we're going through this, is like, I was 14 in 99. So that was like, I just like started going to movies. Like, you know, it was like by myself starting to go to movies. And I realized 
it's so funny that like at 14 and starting to go, I was like, oh yeah, there's just like a perfect movie every weekend. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know. you could feel that way. You could really feel that way. It's just so <laughs> grabbing as like, and, and for the rest of my life, that'll <laughs> That's the power of Hollywood. It's true. So many of them also, as I'm thinking back, were movie theater experiences for me. Blair Witch, Austin mm-hmm. Powers, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, The Matrix, Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, aside from Phantom Menace, like I think I needed, I was a little younger, I needed like an older brother of a friend to like buy the ticket. For mm-hmm. sure, yeah. for, the, for The Matrix, I don't think we would have... Um, you know, I, I'm like just now looking older than 13, but yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, God, what a summer in particular. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really into the award season that year cause the sixth yeah, sense was yeah. big and I didn't see the sixth sense in theaters, but it, you couldn't stop hearing about it from people. It was very exciting. Green Mile was nominated for four Academy Awards this year. It didn't win any of them, but it was nominated for best picture, best mm-hmm. adapted screenplay, Best Supporting Actor for Michael Clark Duncan and Best Sound. Uh, speaking of, I do have to give a shout out to uh, one of the inspirations for my little cold open songs, uh, the great comedian and Oscar host Billy Crystal, who is known for his Oscar medleys. And I thought uh, we could listen to what his little parody song for The Green Mile was that year. <laughs> the five films nominated for Best Picture are... It's the feel-good death row movie of the year. Green Mile is the place to be. Tom Hanks is there, but he can't pee. Then, as he walked his late night watch, the bill talked dark and handsome guy grabbed his crotch. Bright lights. Last rites. Sponge dry. You fry, don't get me wrong. Oh my god. But it was a little bit long. <laughs> Three hours, tell me why. Green Honestly, I think it's pretty good. I, it I when pretty when good. I found that I considered just playing that as a cold open and because I sort of was like, I don't know if mine holds up. He did a lot more work with with his. Uh man, he was such a staple. Uh I know. I, miss I it. think of the Oscars, I, miss it. I think of him. Yeah, and the like, songs in particular. Yeah. I, you know, our mutual friend Ryan Perez like has done like a great job of curating mm-hmm. a lot of these um, and putting them putting them online. Um, and they're endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And I think almost all of them, no matter what the song is, they're parodying. And with him saying the title of the movie, like yeah. <laughs> Shawshank. <laughs> and he started doing the thing too that would sort of become a, a staple of internet comedy videos of putting himself in the movies yes. in like pre-taped yes. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes jarringly he... shirtless. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was Frank Darabont's third time adapting Stephen King. Uh, are, are you all familiar with the uh, Dollar Baby program? Yes. So the dollar, for the listeners who don't know, the Dollar Baby program is a, a series of Stephen King books. It's like a list of of. Uh, stories, mostly short stories that Stephen King has written that he has available for film students and first-time filmmakers to uh, purchase the rights to adapt for $1. And it's not every story that he writes. It's not every book that he writes, but a ton of them he will throw onto this Dollar Baby program. I love that. Yeah. And uh, Frank Darabont, his first film was a Dollar Baby movie, The Woman in the Room. And he made it in 1984. He bought it for a dollar from Stephen King. It was an adaptation of one of his short stories. Stephen King was impressed with the feature. 
They kind of got to know each other. And immediately, Darapont said, I would love to buy Shawshank Redemption as a dollar baby. And Stephen King was impressed enough with the woman in the window that he said, sure, go ahead. He bought it and he spent years for adapting. For a dollar? For one dollar. Wow. And Shawshank was also a short yeah. story. So right. with, yeah. with that adapta- adaptation, he had to actually add stuff to the story in order to make it into a feature. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, Rob Reiner had done Stand By Me and started his production company, Castle Rock. And so Darabont took the script for Shawshank to Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner read it and said, this is a really great adaptation. You should make it. That's how he got to make Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and actually, The Green Mile was also a dollar baby. But at that point in time, he had a relationship with King. And so it was almost like friend doing another friend a solid kind of thing. But he did actually purchase the rights for The Green Mile for $1. Yeah. After the <laughs> Shank, he was like, come on, Steve, you're not going to charge me a fucking dollar again. Are you? <laughs> it's just a formality. You know? Yeah. No, uh, Stephen King has it. gone on the record, too, as saying that his three favorite adaptations of any of his books were Stand By Me. The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Wow. Which is notable that they are three of his uh, not horror works. I also think it's funny just talking about his adaptations, but um, if you read his foreword to the screenplay for Dreamcatcher, you find out he was disappointed by The Shining, but loves yes. Dreamcatcher. That's <laughs> oh my <God>. insane. <laughs> like and Dreamcatcher is one of the most insane Jack movies. Jack showed that movie to me during the <laughs> pandemic, and like my brain could not understand yeah, what kidding. was yeah. happening. I was like, there's a toilet monster? Like, yeah. what is happening? And Darabont did The Mist, too, right? Darabont yeah. also did The Mist. Yeah, he would go on to, I think he's done four adaptations total. Okay. It's funny, just you talking through it. Like, first of all, that, that's awesome. I did not know about that 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 program that he was doing. Um, we should look in his dollar bin. We should yeah, make some yeah. tempted. That to would dig be the ultimate Hank's night um, thing. Yeah. Just to, uh, I'm actually adapt. pretty sure that that new movie, The Boogeyman, it is a dollar baby. Oh. I haven't confirmed it, but The Boogeyman has been made before uh, as like straight to TV projects and stuff. And it was sort of around the same time as the woman in the window. So I'm getting the vibe that it was also in the dollar baby bin. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I, I think that like, I actually lean more towards in terms of his adaptations, the sentimental, like stand by mm-hmm. me is one of my favorite movies. Like I, I can put it on at any point. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, I love it. Like that one does not strike hit me as corny. I don't know what, what it is. I don't know. Yeah. If it's just the performances are just like, so mm-hmm. they feel so like authentic. What is your feeling on Shawshank? What's everybody's like comparing uh, Shawshank I, to this? I think that I agree. I'm with Corey. I, I, I think that Shawshank um, prevented me from liking this maybe a little more. Mm, like mm-hmm. uh, to me, I think Shawshank is the better story. I, it's also just like just tighter. Like you know, you yeah. can feel it. It's you know, you know, quote our favorite person Billy Crystal. Three hours. <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just, uh, do you feel the length when you watch The Green Mile? I actually yeah. didn't. I which is crazy. I don't either. Because we didn't start watching it till like nine o'clock mm-hmm. at night. And I was like, just so you know, I'm for sure falling asleep and <laughs> I will have to watch the rest of this tomorrow. But I didn't. Like, I it, don't feel it. It did keep, it kept my attention the whole time. I it's do stand long. by that. Nice. Like, it's I, way too long. <laughs> I love a what 90 minute cut? movie. What would you cut? Justin, you don't want a 20 minute. Uh, catching a mouse sequence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so hang on. Let's just talk about it. Let's all, all of us talk about it. If we cut the catching the mouse sequence, we're keeping the Jerry Springer sequence. In the oh, time. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
How can we keep the Jerry Springer sequence but get rid of all the old people? <laughs> <laughs> the Jerry Springer mm. sequence I had forgotten about. We watched this movie literally like a few years ago. And it came out and I go, what the fuck? <laughs> I, the cheesy, the cheesiness in the movie that I don't like, I like, I, I just don't like some of the tones. Sometimes it's like, what's it's endearing to see these men, you know, um, humoring and indulging in certain things that make the prisoners happy. Mm-hmm. But why is it like, do do do? Oh yeah, like like Terrence Malick xylophone music, you know. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about Badlands. You're, t- yeah. you're talking about the yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah. sounds like Badlands. <laughs> Although there are some banger parts of the score in this movie too. Like there's there's some scenes that I feel some like work lifting. tremendously because of the music. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Like, but it is a little wall to wall, and sometimes it does come off like there's a. I I felt a lot of American Beauty in the score of this mm-hmm. too, which he did. The, it's Thomas Newman who did American Beauty as well. Same um, same year, right? Same year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So an aspect of this movie that obviously is challenging nowadays, I think, mm-hmm. is the whole concept of John Coffey. Uh, we should talk about it. In uh, 2001, director Spike Lee gave a seminar at Washington State University in which he pointed out a, a rise in popularity of a longstanding Hollywood trope that he coined the magical Negro trope. And this is in reference to uh, when a story contains a supporting character of color who is depicted as special either by spiritual power or by disability or by both, whose uh, sole purpose in the story is to enlighten and ultimately save the white protagonist of the film. And he pointed to this movie as a prime example. He pointed to a number of other movies. I feel like, like this movie is the textbook definition really yeah. of that. Uh, he pointed to other movies like The Legend of Bagger Vance, What Dreams May Come, the Family Man, also that year, or the same year as this, we had The Matrix, which has Morpheus, which you could technically qualify uh, doing the trope. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, as we spoke on our episode, has multiple examples of the trope. And Stephen King himself has a long reputation for utilizing this trope. Uh, mm-hmm. The Stands, Mother Abigail is basically that character. The Shining's Dick Holleran. Now, I don't think necessarily King has ill intentions with this stuff. In fact, I, I look at this movie and I think this is King really feeling like he's accessing his most decent humanitarian side. I think he thinks he's making an anti-racism movie, uh, but I don't think he understands how he's playing into uh, problematic tropes and stereotypes. How does it make you guys feel when you watch this movie now? All yeah, that stuff. I, I think, you know, there, there was maybe, I think you're right. And, and positioning in the 90s for where it was, there was a discourse there and I think you're right, there was a, a type of anti-racism, which was actually everyone who is hating black people, they are incredibly useful to us. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, you know, yeah. that was not, that was really taken at face value and not, and and again, you know, in, in John Coffey, there's not this idea that this is a, a human being with a lived experience. It's like, mm-hmm. it is like, it is like they are showing their value and their tragedy is, is in their usefulness, right? And so, yeah, I think, so I think, true. Yeah, that, that's what it was kind of coming through. I was like, oh, yeah, there's no real feeling. Like, he literally disappears when a white character's not on the screen. Like, he's yeah. just got, like, he's not, like, you know, it, you're not coming up in, in, a, in a real lived experience. Oh, for sure. I mean, and there, you watch the movie, and you can definitely see Christ allegory in John Coffey. He takes the pain back in the same way that Jesus takes sin back, you know. He sacrifices himself. He's unjustly sacrificed for the good of But Jesus humanity. never killed anybody. We don't know. We don't know for sure. That's true. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple missing gospels. 
<laughs> when you compare it to Jesus, Jesus is at least the main character of the story. You know, he's Jesus isn't a supporting character of the story. And Jesus doesn't have, you know, the history of slavery in America hanging over his character as well. And it's a, it's just a weird feeling to watch this movie where by the end of it, this black man has to be sacrificed so that these white people's lives can be better and mm-hmm. not have to consider how this historically feels with the way black people have been treated in America. And so it is like, it's an aspect of the movie that I definitely have always kind of wrestled with, but very much wrestled with in this, in this viewing as powerful as I think the character is, you know, narratively he's a great device, you know, his performance is incredible. And I think all the moments with him are genuinely moving, but I always had this sort of like, icky weird feeling in the back of my there's like an ick factor where you're like and it's just because it kind of feels like a tool you think the movie would be better if if uh that character was not black i don't it's so hard to say because michael clark duncan is so great in it and it's so hard to imagine it working with any other actor I think technically on paper it would work, right? Yeah. I mean, like, there's no reason why he has to be black. Right. It, it actually aids in certain aspects because we are in the Great Depression, we are in the South, and so the racism has something to do with this story. And I think, to the movie's credit, it tries to tackle that stuff head on. It, it tries to really confront the racism that's sort of ingrained into the story. So you would lose a lot of that stuff, which maybe would lose some power, but technically on paper, I think the story would, would work still. In some but ways, I'm not necessarily saying similar, it should do that. It's also a similar critique to what we were having with Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. that the, here is a character that's written similarly like uh, something that is a trope, right? You know, right. the stupid ditzy girl, mm-hmm. but you have an actor behind the scenes who's having a, the time of their life and really excited about the opportunity she was given. Similarly, Mark, Michael Clark Duncan behind the scenes. For sure. Being like putting everything he has into it and being so grateful for to Bruce Willis for giving him this opportunity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and when you say Bruce Willis. Wait, what, are you, what is that? Yeah. Br- Bruce Willis was the one who made, they, they, were, they didn't know who to cast for this part. And Michael Clark Duncan was not a known uh well-known actor at that time. The biggest thing he had done was Armageddon, but he was a small mm-hmm. part in it. And so they were uh, looking all over the world oh, yeah, he was for this character of John Coffey. And it was Bruce Willis who actually phone called uh, Frank Darabont and said, I just worked with this guy, Michael Clark Duncan, and I think he's perfect. Um, wow. So that's, yeah. that's what he's referring no, to. I'm just saying, uh, the, you know, the duality can exist. A problematic role, but also, like you said, it does add something to it. adds another layer worth considering. And you have an actor who is a real-life human who's able to embody the role and do something special with it. And I think the intentions of Stephen King and the intentions of Frank Darabont and Tom Hanks and everybody involved with the movie are so clearly well-intended and good-hearted that it, it it helps it go down a little smoother because there doesn't seem to be any of any maliciousness. Um, well, why don't we take a quick break and uh, we'll come right back and we'll talk more about The Green Mind. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hell. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed. We are talking The Green Mile. So like we said, this movie opens with a bookend. Uh, We get to meet old man Paul Edgecombe. He's played by Dabs Greer. This is Tom Hanks as a very old man. He's living in a nursing home. And uh, my first laugh of the movie was when he goes to the breakfast line and the guy is like, here's your toast, cold and dry, just the way you like. (laughs) Right, right. He's literally like, cold is better. Yeah. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> that exchange was so weird. weird to me. I thought I was missing something. Yeah. That's what it made me laugh. It's like, this is the strangest scene. Because I, I guess maybe because I knew he was taking it to the mouse, having yeah. seen the movie. And so I was like, wait, what is that mean? And so then every time they fed the mouse, I was waiting for them to be like, toss him a cold crack. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's why? not too hot, is it? Why are right. they giving wanted... it just cold and dry? I yeah. feel like a mouse would like a regular piece of bread. With right. butter on it, yeah. yeah. Get, give them the buttery piece. And yeah, we we see them, we get this sort of like No Country for Old Men-esque scene where the, all the old people are watching TV and it's Jerry <laughs> Springer and like all these as seen on TV ads and you can tell they're just like, we don't like this world anymore. <laughs> yes, it's it's very um, broad. Like the Jerry Springer episode is um, I Have Too Many Lovers. Um, <laughs> the title of it and i just kept thinking because springer um filmed uh i think almost i think at the entire run of the show it was filmed in chicago mm-hmm. um, yeah and i had friends that would go to jerry springer tapings uh and then we would like trying to find them when it would air yeah uh um and it was like a very active like a very participating crowd so i'm just mm-hmm. thinking like you go to jerry springer and you're like i might be in the jerry springer and it's like ah oh, i didn't see you but i did see you in the green the green mile, the green mile. Yeah, that's so <laughs> there you are <laughs> yeah jerry springer was huge back then and very controversial too yes. it was something that people were sort of like afraid of as well so it doesn't surprise it dates this movie for sure to see it in this moment but it doesn't surprise me that that's what they chose to, to right. put on the TV austin for powers that. also uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they change the channel they find this old movie Top Hat and this song uh, Cheek to Cheek makes uh, Paul start to cry and this lady there with him kind of pulls him to the side and is like what's the deal and he starts telling her the story of his life I have a question for you, for you Nick because you mentioned uh, being uh, affected by these sort of old person looking back oh yeah I, I found this to be like 
really like the cheese was like it was feeling very cheesy very quickly to me mm-hmm. um i actually could have maybe even done without it uh, uh because i don't think the movie needs the bookends i don't think it needs it because he when he they he sits down and it's fucking pouring rain like it's coming down <laughs> so much and knowing how you guys did the rain effect for our our mm-hmm. short they must have been they must have put an ocean's worth of rain on this because like every window pane is covered. And in that conversation, they're you know, holding their coffee cups, and he puts the most like broad giant frame around the premise of the movie. He's like, mm-hmm. Well, it was the Great Depression, and I worked on the Green Mile. We called it the Green Mile because of the lime green floors, but most people called it and I was just like, What? Oh, yeah what the fuck is happening uh, uh um, so i don't know so that's being said now that i've teed it up did it work for you Nick? It, uh, yes it absolutely worked I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here i'm sitting here shocked to hear that you could all be laughing at this i'm literally i can't believe it uh that, that it could mean anything less than one of the most devastating examples of human frailty um no it definitely it absolutely worked because it's funny, as you're as you're laughing describing that scene in my head I'm going green lock lime so I'm going I'm just like I'm clenching my chest like Nick is actually lines. sobbing right now I'm in sobbing. his Zoom box <laughs> I always this is something that uh, that uh, has stuck with me maybe maybe it's a slightly irrational fear but the compression of time mm. in uh, um, uh, within a movie those fra- those those jumps in time I realized like only recently so I mean this is one again all these movies literally were so affecting to me they almost terrified me the idea of like that you could just cut from tom hanks younger to this like you know to mm-hmm. 80 years mm-hmm. later same thing in like like the sandlot where you have this like it, and then in his future blow up terrified mm-hmm. me and i think there is almost an irrational literal fear that your life suddenly will just jump 60 years yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that i will literally just like go to my death but like, <laughs> interesting that i that I, I, I find incredibly terrifying about that uh, which was a Stephen King short story too, which was like there's like this like portal jump where you like you like go oh, between yeah, two places, yeah, yeah. but your uh-huh. mind is alive ready. Anyway, it's, it's a bizarre around, wow. but yeah, absolutely worked for me. Now absolutely. that you have um, just spoken that, that is now my fear. <laughs> like, I'm like <laughs> I actually get that fear completely, and this right. movie is much scarier now. And yes. yeah, I guess it's a horror movie. It is, yeah. Horror. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time. And we cut to the Great Depression. We are in. A uh, death row cell block that we will come to learn as the Green Mile. And our first introduction to Tom Hanks as young Paul Edgecombe is he is taking a piss. Mm. Piss and razor blades, as he refers to it. Have you guys ever had a UTI? No, thank thank God. Uh, I know I have friends who have had them. Um, well, this movie I connected to so much. <laughs> and the whole time was just like, oh my God, I could feel like it truly was like making my stomach hurt. Because yeah. very um, classic in Jack and I's <laughs> life is that on the week before our wedding, we drove from California to Arkansas to like bring all of our wedding stuff. And we had like planned this road trip. It was going to be like very cute and romantic. We had like booked these hotels along the way. And the first day we're on the road, we get to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was like, I something's wrong. Something's mm. wrong. Oh. I have pain. I have pain. And I was like very quickly kind of was like, maybe this is a UTI, like because I could mm. not pee just like Tom Hanks. 
I sat in a bathtub with the water on for the whole entire night, just crying because we couldn't get in anywhere. Yeah. Then we went to urgent care in Albuquerque that morning and the doctor comes in and she was like, what do you think's going on? And I was like, well, I think I might have a UTI. And she was like, yes, you have the worst one I've ever seen in my oh. entire career. <laughs> and I was oh like, what? Um, ended up getting on. Uh, they gave me steroid shots, which they don't warn you, make you lose your voice. And I had no voice at my wedding. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, 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 I had to like whisper my vows. Oh my God. All because of a UTI. I promise to be faithful to you. <laughs> you were the old person looking back. I really was. I was. Yeah. I was. But it made me really, really connect with uh, old Hank. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've had a mild UTI, but I've never had one that was as debilitating as what Tom Hanks has. And I was a UTI and a bladder inf- bladder infection. Is that the same thing? I think that's different. I think there's. I think it's different. Things. Well, doesn't he yeah. say he has a bladder infection? Yeah, because he doesn't. He's probably he's not trying to say what a loose. UTI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you can't piss like that, that's a UTI. Yeah, baby. it's bad. A quick, before we move move past the piss, are you are you going to talk more about piss? Let's keep talking piss. <laughs> okay. I gotta say, what is it like to be Tom Hanks and to do the? And there must be something very vulnerable about that. Of like, you could yeah. look like a complete fucking idiot. Yeah, you could look like a real idiot. If you're sitting there pissing a lot. Well, I, I think that sometimes watching stuff that like is good, but then, you know, if I were to read it, like would I have right on, mm-hmm. I, I, on the page that I'd be like, is this bad? I don't know. I is fall this... over. I, I'm trying to piss and I fall I, over. I try to... <laughs> yeah, there's one scene where he falls to his knees he falls and to pisses his knees. on his knees. And then <laughs> once I he's cured it... of it, he literally fucks the entire night. Yes. <laughs> Yes. They do a, a night to day fade. <laughs> yes. That's a funny joke. Just that was funny. I thought I, that was great. I think maybe it's a contractual thing too, because this is not the, the, he has a number of movies where he has significant piss scenes. Forrest Gump has a significant scene where oh, yeah, he drinks a Dr. bunch Pepper. of Dr. Peppers and he has to go pee. Uh, a League of Their Own has a very significant pissing scene with Tom wow. Hanks. Apollo right. 13 has a sequence where he shows how he pisses in the uh, shuttle. So maybe right. he's a little piss freak and he asks for this Woody, scene. Woody pisses <laughs> in every Toy Story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we get to meet everybody on the Green Mile. Uh, his right, his yeah. cohorts are David Morris, who is a big guard named Brutal. I love David Morris. He's I think he's a, a great actor. Too in this movie. Fantastic. He looks so and he used to be in everything. He's kind of like a um, Barry Pepper, like older brother vibe. Like, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. totally. He's, like, he's another Pepper vibe. I was mm-hmm. so excited to see him in this movie too, as not playing the bad guy. Because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm used to him being. He does play a bad guy often. Being evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Barry Pepper is there. Barry Pepper's name is Dean Stanton, which I thought was funny that. Uh, there's an actor named Harry Dean Stanton Harry who is in yep. this movie. We meet uh, some of the inmates. Delacroix is there, who is played by Michael Jeter. He's this Creole uh, guy who has a nice, sweet, sort of funny accent. I like the, the you know, they they make no bones about it. Everybody likes each other here. To be honest, I feel like this uh, death row place is a good hang. Like It's kind of got like a frat vibe to it. I would yeah. enjoy spending time with these people. In particular, early on, they're like night shift antics mm-hmm. kind of there's like when yeah. they're clearing out the closet it they're is fun. kind of <laughs> boom, 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 boom. yeah this movie honestly too had like a um a play vibe to me like i feel like you could yeah. adapt this for the stage very easily turn it into a musical that'd be cool <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to meet Percy, who we've already discussed doug hutchinson great and percy brings in a new prisoner 
named John Coffey. We got a dead man walking here. Dead man. Dead man walking. Dead man walking here. Dead man. We got a dead man walking here. Dead man walking. We got a dead man walking here. For a sec. It's enough. I'm not going to have any trouble with you, big boy. Can you talk? Yes, I boss. I can talk. I like this scene, too, because they keep his head out of frame for a whole bunch of it. You get this whole lead in where you're just seeing like all the huge muscles and all these different parts of his body first. Every you're seeing everybody's reactions to him before you actually see him. The the, the intro is is uh, amazing, like the the pan up Mm -hmm. on him. And he uh, I'm not sure if they if this if they're on the same level, but he's standing next to Hanks. Hanks is probably what? Six. We looked up their height. We looked He's up everybody's height. He's actually not the tall. John Coffey's not. So the technically, um, David Morse Brutal is taller than Michael Clark Duncan by one inch. And then the tallest yeah. person oh. in the movie is James Cromwell, who plays the the oh, warden. Yes, yes, he is six seven. Yes, I've met James Cromwell, and he oh. is like tall, like. You're like, this is like an NBA tall. You know when you mm-hmm. meet someone and you're like, this person is so tall. Yeah, I I, I did read that the book describes um, uh, coffee as, as six foot eight. And the he's, mm-hmm. he's listed as six foot eight. They he's do an so incredible buff. job. His of, arms are huge. Because he's, so, he's so much just wider and bigger than everybody yeah. that it makes it really convincing that he's also I totally, yeah, I agree. In order to get that effect, they actually had him in uh, Nickelodeon moon shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they actually put, yes. put him in the A little behind the scenes. <laughs> and they had to go in, like the sound was really bad because it was a squeak every time. So they had to go in and remove all, all of his lines are dubbed because of that. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> it was a little boing, boing with every step that he took. Yes. Michael Clark Duncan, he was a bodyguard before he was an actor. He was a bodyguard to Will Smith. He was a bodyguard to Jamie Foxx and Notorious B.I.G. You know who else was a bodyguard? Oh, you aren't a bodyguard. What were you, Justin? About, uh, doorman. Yeah, but you you had to like body check people out of there, didn't you? Uh, yeah. That's kind of like Someone's a bodyguard. Someone's got to watch the doors back. Came up behind somebody, brought them down to the ground, and I felt so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, I am not cut out for this. This is yeah. awful. You weren't Dalton from Roadhouse. No, I did not enjoy it. <laughs> Bruce Willis was the one who, who called up Darabont and said, you should see this guy. He did an audition and apparently he was not very good because he had just started acting essentially. Mm. So they hired a famed acting coach, Larry Moss. Is anybody familiar with Larry Um, Moss? Yes. And my teacher is a student. Well, one of my teachers is Mm -hmm. a student of his. Yeah. Jamie Carroll in New York. Shout out. He does acting classes, but he is famous for being Leonardo DiCaprio's acting coach. He's done, I think he started on The Aviator, but he's done basically every movie with him since. He also was Hilary Swank's acting coach for Boys Don't Cry, as well as Million Dollar Baby. Um, So pretty legit dude. And Leo still works with him for every movie, like two months before, like eight hours a day. I went and watched a bunch of videos with Larry Moss and Mm -hmm. just listened to him talk. And he was fascinating and had a lot of great advice. And I can see why he's a good very expensive. Which good yeah. on him. We meet Bonnie Hunt. 
Tom Hanks can't have sex with her because of his bladder infection, even though you can tell they desperately want to. Mm-hmm. Um, Bonnie Hunt's really good in this movie for her small part. I've always liked Bonnie Hunt. Who would win in a fight, Bonnie Hunt or Helen Hunt? Bonnie, one hundred percent. Celebrity cage match <laughs> question. <laughs> Uh, uh, I had to see it claymated. Then I would. Yeah, exactly. And then we get to meet the real star of the film, Mr. Jingles. Yes. <laughs> Incredible. Really good performance from this mouse. Yeah. So, do they? Did you look into any of that? Like, was this mouse trained? The special feature said they had like fifteen of them for oh, one. That's <laughs> so it ain't just one dark. mouse. Um, and yeah, they said it's very hard to train a mouse. But that you you just have to find creative ways to motivate them with food to get them to do whatever you're asking them to do. Have y'all ever worked with uh, mice before as as actors? Have we worked with an animal, Nick? I'm trying to think. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think I think we often avoid. I think I think in in the writing that's often yeah yeah don't like, write yeah. an animal mm. yeah. When the We've studio with, won't even pay for you to like have an office on the lot, they're not going <laughs> to Yeah, we're not getting an animal for this thing. You're going to get an animal. Uh, so a writer, a writer we did work with uh, told us a story once that, uh, this is back in the 80s, that he worked on a short-lived sketch show where there was a monkey on set to play a particular role. <laughs> this is the story he told us and then was corroborated by somebody else uh, and the trainer like the monkey was not doing whatever the task was mm-hmm. and the trainer said All right, I need 10 minutes uh, and so like they called cut and the trainer like went off into like his tra- trailer with the monkey and like it was like more than 10 minutes and it was like taking time and so like then someone in production went over and like knocked on the trailer and opened it up <laughs> and the guy the guy was trying, like, reinforcing what the monkey needed to do, but was holding a gun. A gun. Oh my god! <laughs> he was just holding it in his hand. Some, so somehow had conditioned <laughs> this monkey with a handgun. Oh wow! My well, god. I can't imagine how. <laughs> so it's so insane. Oh, uh, um, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. Whenever when I saw Nope, whenever that came out, I mm-hmm. could not stop thinking of that story. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking monkey with a gun. Wow. All in a bit of buck. Electricity shall now be passed through your body until you are dead. In accordance with state law, God have mercy on your soul. Are executions like can uh, that happen now? You can still go to them like this? I think audience. always. I think there's uh, always on uh, always some sort of an audience. The guy who is playing the the guy who pulls the lever. Awesome. Have very interesting face. I mm-hmm. love his look. Yeah. Great face. I wanted to see more more of him. What is all he, around? I think the casting is, is really good. Uh, he did look familiar, but it's like he he's a he's like a Dick Tracy henchman or something. Like he's he, face. It must be an interesting because it's got like right. scars on it too. It's is more than name? just wrinkles. He him? seems he seems like scratched up. Is that him? Yeah, that's him. Wow, his IMDb picture is What's his name? hilarious. Um, Bill McKinney? Bill McKinney. Oh my God, Justin. Bill McKinney is the guy in Deliverance, the rapist. Who they kill. Oh. Whoa. Oh my God. Wow, I didn't even recognize him. And yeah, he's he so good. The same. I mean, it's huh. 40 years later. He also That's got insane. one of the, the actors from Sling Blade in this movie too. Yes, uh, who's also in A Simple Plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forget Bill. his name. Brent Briscoe? 
Yes. First yeah. Game. He's like, like on the different shift, I think. Or, yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's got to be kind of a, a little bit of a sad uh, uh, character who's just like, they have this like fun shift <laughs> dynamic where they're all brothers. And then you come in out the next shift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, was guys, <laughs> there was a mouse. There was a mouse. Oh, that's cool. Can I? Oh, you got. Oh, when it comes out at night. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, Percy sucks, right? Percy sucks. Oh, he's nice now? Oh, he's, he's nice now. He, he made a bed? He made a bed. Okay. All right, well, enjoy the day. Sorry, what'd you say? I didn't say anything. Okay, all right. I'll also say, uh, we got to give a shout out to the sweat continuity in this. Mm. People. You yes. know it's in the depression for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone keep is sweating, mm-hmm. and I, the sweat is consistent. Like I don't think there's a yeah. dry person no. in this movie. <laughs> no, it's so yeah. sweaty. Uh, so then they get a new inmate, Sam Rockwell, who plays Wild Bill, and he lives up to his name. This man is insane. Uh, he pretends to be catatonic at first when he comes in, but it's all a ruse. Uh, to me, this feels like a Billy Bob Thornton character. Like he would be a good mm. alternate actor for this role. It's like super hillbilly hick who's totally unhinged. Uh, this may have been my first time seeing Sam Rockwell, if I think mm-hmm. back on it. I mean, technically, I saw him in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. He plays one of yeah, the Foot like Clan. The, like main punks, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have wouldn't have known who he was from that. Right. Um, but he's great. He's really good in this movie. And in the behind-the-scenes stuff, he seemed to be uh, impressing every. I think he was maybe new on everybody's radar. Mm-hmm. And you can just see in all the sort of like... BTS of them watching him do his takes and being like, damn, this guy is fucking good. I wonder if this might be, you know, as we're talking about the three hour runtime, I wonder if there's a version of this script where he's just in the, in one of the jail cells to begin with, you give him a big opening dangerous moment. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if this might be, if if we're, if if there is perhaps a feeling that it could have been shorter than three hours, this might be, might be a place. I think Mm -hmm. you're totally right. He brings such, he brings such a chaotic energy that it may have from a from like a, a tonal flow of the movie. Mm-hmm. It may have been too intense to like introduce us to this world with him in it at first, you know? Like mm-hmm. when we're introduced to the Green Mile, it's a relatively calm place. Outside right, of right. Percy, you know, it's kind of like you get you get this atmosphere that like they all get along and they like each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted I'll say this though, if you do cut that sequence. Uh, you could add an additional chasing a mouse sequence. Sure, and which is <laughs> what we, we need. That we need that. <laughs> Nick wants to watch Mouse Hunt. <laughs> Stuart Little is next up yes. on the list. Yes, if Mr. Jingles can be in a little Corvette, I'm, I'm pretty sure Stuart Little was 1999 too. I wonder if he drove the Corvette uh, with or without the assistance of being at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then we get our first magical sequence. Tom Hanks is really yes. fucked up by his bladder. Uh, he comes stumbling out of the bathroom, super sweaty, hunched over, and John Coffey sort of leans out of the bars and says, like, come over here, and tells him he can yeah. fix it for him, grabs him by the lapel, pulls him against the bars, cups his nuts, and uh, suddenly the lights start to get a little hotter. I like the, I, I like the fact that Delacroix becomes protective of... Tom yeah, Hanks. He starts screaming. For he boss. starts screaming. Help! Help! And yeah. even before that, he's going like, "Hey, don't go too close. You know, you're not supposed yeah. to go too close to the bars." So, like, he really loves him. You know, there's real camaraderie here. And then all of a sudden, he lets him go, and Tom Hanks feeling fucking better. 
Yeah. Immediately goes, takes a long ass piss. Takes the best piss of his life. Not yeah. as long as Austin Powers after he is thawed from cryosleep. <laughs> right. But close. <laughs> but so close. the second longest piss of 99, maybe. <laughs> Again, I've got uh, to in this sequence, like you're Tom Hanks, you're going, grab, wait, wait a minute. Michael Clark Duncan's going to just grab my cross. Yeah. <laughs> I just take a lot. I mean, there's some, there is some risk in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for no, sure. I agree. I, I, I think sometimes like when I see movie like great movies that like uh-huh. I'm like, how did you know? How did you know yes. this was yeah. gonna look so yeah. silly? Yeah. And then the bees fly out, right? Flies. Oh flies. They're I think flies. they're flies, okay. yeah. Okay, gotcha. Bee, a bee is what stung me on the foot today. <laughs> okay, that's John right. Coffee has flies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and I looked into that a little bit because I was I wondered if there was like significance to them and um it seems like it's a reference to the 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 Lord of the Flies, for, biblically uh, referring to like Beelzebub. Mm. He's taking the sort of dark energy. If he's sort of the Christ figure, then he's sort of taking the dark Beelzebub energy and spitting them out as flies, which yeah, he's yeah. apparently done before in other. Uh, not I think in in um, Doctor Sleep, which it, it, it's interesting to think that John Coffey has a form of The Shining. Essentially, like mm, yeah. all of Stephen King's stuff is so inner. He kind of rehashes a lot of the same ideas. And so it makes it feel like there's this sort of expanded King averse. And so it's like yeah. this could be in the same world as The Shining and Dr. Sleep. And he is just another person with the ability. And yeah, after he takes a piss, he goes straight home and bends Bonnie Hunt over and <laughs> does it all night long. The day to night shot. Like I've only seen in animation, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that joke. It felt like such. A... It's a it's such a great just out of nowhere tonal choice, but it's a it's a, also just a fun moment. Mm-hmm. You know? But the tonal choice that is what adds to the cheesiness of this movie. That now me watching it throws me out because I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah, uh, like yeah. sure. Like I mean, I don't know. It, it just that part. I was like, okay, moving on. Oh, that's he, so fun. He comes back the next day and John Coffey goes, was your missus pleased? And he goes, several times. <laughs> oh my God. And then they call it back again when they're all having dinner oh, yeah, at their they house. Do. He's like, it says something along those same lines and Bonnie's just like eyebrow raising. Yeah, like, yeah. Barry Pepper says something like, well, he fixed you, right? And Bonnie Hunt goes, oh, he, fi- he, he fixed, fixed him, him good or something. Or like something. It's like, okay, you guys. You come back at the very end as an old man, he goes, and he gave me a gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paul, why are you crying? I'm crying because I can't stop fucking. <laughs> him telling that very somberly. So... <laughs> The, yeah, the flies went out of his mouth and had sex all night. Uh, so this Gary Sinise sequence that comes up next is one that I think could be cut. It's fun mm. to see it's Sinise. So and, strange. It's fun to see Sinise and Hanks back together again after yeah. Gump, but I don't think the scene is quite necessary. He's uh, basically John Coffey's lawyer. Yes, and I totally agree. It it um I think also Sinise is a pretty like. Wrecking, he'd, he'd done mm-hmm. Gump, he'd done Apollo 13 at this point. Oh, yeah. Seeing someone like Gary Sinise pop up an hour into a 90s mm-hmm. movie, I, I was just like, What? Yeah, like the he, he almost feels like he's too, in a weird way. 
It's like it's not it's not effective. It's like it's we, we a, don't think John Coffee did it. <laughs> yeah, no, he we doesn't don't convince think us John the Coffey audience. We, you don't need to use your son who's missing. Yeah, an the eye weird as a dog mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, like you could have just said my son was attacked and I'd believe you, but you called my your son onto the porch and then <laughs> turned his face to me to show his 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 fucking injury. Mauled face. It was yeah. so like it was so over the top. Uh, yeah, I like that he goes. And you know what I did. Took the dog out into the field and blew his brains out. All right, cool. Well, uh, thanks okay. for having me Got over. It, <laughs> but data was showing that uh, audiences wanted Sinise and Hanks back. Yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah. They had to give yeah. it to it was, him. That, we, was a, that was a studio note, you know. Uh, Delacroix has taught Mr. Jingles this trick where he pushes a little uh, spool across the ground. It's very funny. It's very cute. Uh, but he throws it in a weird way, and the spool goes rolling out of the cell. Jingles goes to get it, and Percy squishes him but you know that john coffee's gonna save that motherfucker he calls him over he says bring it to me john coffee cups him in his hands and he blows his little magic breath on him and he goes the tail look at the tail yeah. mm-hmm. and we get a nice crappy cg shot of this tail yes. yeah. <laughs> going to life and then right after that the second shift guy comes in and he goes what i mean <laughs> <laughs> a, a miracle <laughs> Oh, yeah. We're doing those all the time in my shift. You got to come by. Yeah, light, blinding light miracle. Yeah, yeah, we got that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Light bulbs are exploding all the time. Um, and then I think we get like the centerpiece of the movie, which is the 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 bad death of Edouard Delacroix. Um, this is just a gross out sequence here oh one thing we didn't mention is that during the first execution we learned that it is crucial in these executions to wet the sponge you Mm -hmm. dip the sponge in water first you put it on their head it helps the electricity course through their body i'm not i didn't look into how truthful this is but it's just a great uh story mechanism for something like this It's, it's a fun detail and i love that when you don't wet the sponge all hell, all hell breaks loose. It's like yeah. the rules for the gremlins or something. Percy's the one that asks too. He, he's the one. He's like, "Why do you guys want the sponge?" And he yes. gets like direct mm-hmm. from the uh, the guy he's shadowing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why he wants to be on that front line because yeah. he's yeah. gonna fuck. And it, it seems like he does have a personal vendetta against Delacroix because Delacroix laughs at him a lot, particularly when mm-hmm. he pisses in his pants. Um, yeah, Percy actively does not wet the sponge. Puts a dry sponge. On Delacroix's head, and we see the results of that, which is essentially that, like, he cooks and explodes and sets on fire, and it's a situation in which once they start it, they kind of can't stop it, and uh, he literally starts to, like, fry and bubble and boil and pop in front of everybody, and all the people there who are sort of excited to see him die suddenly start being like, what the fuck is going on? Good prosthetic work, too. There's clearly, like, a, a, a animatronic dummy. Under there. I really don't understand why Tom Hanks didn't stop it in the beginning and quickly get a wet sponge in mm-hmm. there and then do it. It, it made no sense. To yeah, because adding a couple more seconds and letting so him die gonna, quicker. Yeah, yeah just let, let this man roast, fry to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, or just pause the roasting, <laughs> yeah. put a wet sponge in, and then continue the roast as quick as yeah. you can. I think there should be a contingency too that if it goes that wrong, you should just be allowed to pull out a gun and shoot them. Maybe, yeah, like, for it, sure. Feels like that would maybe be the most humane thing. I did read about that there. There have been a few uh, like failed um, electric chair executions where they oh did have God. to stop and like do it literally on a whole other day. 
You know, like let the person the relax. F- no, for a just get, get it, give me a gun. <laughs> no, again, the, I don't think there's been electric car- chair executions consistently for a while. It's usually, I think it's just like the freaks who choose to do it. You know, the real monster <laughs> prisoners who are like, give me the chair, let me fry. <laughs> I don't want that injection. I want to fry. Yeah, because the, the the sponge is like, it's in a giant bucket with tons of mm-hmm. water. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hanks doesn't. I I'm I'm kind of look with Justin on this one. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's Maybe. also odd too that they separate the sponge and the water, and that like, why does the bucket and the water not come <laughs> with the sponge? Right. Yeah, right, right, just go ahead right. and drop it in. You know, yeah. you're gonna wet it. I the want ritual. to watch and I want to see. I wonder as soon as his UTI clears up and he gets horny, I feel like he's a worse guard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he drops the ball on the sponge yeah. because he's he's horny. That's my new theory. Can't stop thinking about getting into it. Um, so then after this, Tom Hanks gets the idea now that he knows that John Coffey is a magical mm-hmm. mystery man, he gets the idea that maybe he can help James Cromwell's wife uh, with her brain tumor. And so they sort of devise this big elaborate plan to bust him out. And he's able to convince Brutal and Barry Pepper and David Morse to, to go along with it. In the background, the guy from the other shift is like, I, I can help. No. I don't have a family. I don't have a family. I got nobody. And yeah, then we get this sequence where they take John Coffey out and they go over to James Cromwell's house and we get to sort of experience Patricia Clarkson. Uh, and the effects of the tumor. <laughs> I love that he's like so embarrassed that she curses. He's like, she's sorry, different she now. just says different things and she's just up there. And I, she doesn't even really say anything that bad. Yeah. She's like, fuck. Knowing Stephen King, I bet it's bad in the book because he's <laughs> got a <laughs> dirty mind and mouth when he needs a character too. But uh, this scene was really moving to me. And she, I think her performance is amazing because she goes from being like actively angry to being confused, to being like really scared in a way that I just thought was like pretty moving. Um, yeah, she she kind of surprised me. She's a little she's to me one of my favorite parts of the movie in her small part. What's your name? John Coffee Mail. Like the drink. Only not spilt the same. No mail. I spelled the same at all. <coughs> no, you can't. I dreamed of you. I dreamed you were wandering in the dark. And so was I. And we found each other. This was one of the moments where, where tears came out of me. Um, and yeah, they go back to the to the station and John Coffey ends up grabbing Percy and spitting those flies down his throat. And it like possesses him for a, for a minute. Percy goes over, shoots Wild Bill. They end up tackling him into the ground and then all the flies spit out of Percy's mouth. John Coffey asked uh, uh, Tom Hanks to come over and take his hand. He wants to show him something. 
They shake hands, and when he does, suddenly Tom Hanks gets the vision of the truth of what really happened, and we see that it was actually Wild Bill that killed the two girls that John Coffey found. And John Coffey just found them and tried to tried to save them, but it was too late. He couldn't take it back, and um, now he knows the truth. So he shakes his hand, right, like in that moment, right? He said, mm-hmm. "Yeah." And when they first meet, they shake hands, like they kind of just show the they size do, yeah. of mm-hmm. his hand. And it is a little one of those story buys of like, wait, John Coffey could have just given him a vision. (laughs) Well, I don't think Coffey had the vision. I think Coffey got the vision when Sam Rockwell grabbed him. Uh, So I don't think John Coffey knew that Sam had killed those girls until he, because there's that one point when he he wakes up and he grabs John Coffey by the wrist. Mm -hmm. Got it. And he calls him the N-word. And you see this sort of thing happen in John Coffey where I think he's now getting the vision. You know. Gotcha. Okay, I'm putting it as number one on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> we put up the ranks immediately. And yeah, he says he killed them with their love. That's right. what happens all the time, all over the world. <laughs> Which is kind of like on the nose stuff, but at the same time, I sort of found it beautiful. And it's, I gotta it's say, fitting. it's it's like it's in line with the others. Yeah, I I think you're right. For this being essentially uh, Michael Clark Duncan's first like big role, for sure. He's great. I mean, the, the 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 amount that he has to cry and scream, which is like really vulnerable stuff for somebody to have to do, even as a as a trained veteran actor, is hard for somebody who's essentially kind of having their first serious role to have to do as much as he has to do in this movie. It's really impressive. He does yeah. a good job. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, we get a good scene where he where Hanks confides in his wife that he says like, for the first time in my life, I'm worried about going to hell, and we know it's because he's he's. He's contemplating, what am I going to do having to, to sentence this man to death? He goes to John Coffey, asks him what he wants for his last meal. He says he wants meatloaf and some of his wife's cornbread, which sounds like a pretty solid last meal to me. Mm-hmm. What would you guys do? Any ideas of what your last meal would be if you had the option? Home state tacos. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's <pretty> good. <laughs> Arby's roast beef and cheddar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Don't forget five. the horsey sauce. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I would probably do uh, chicken parm with a margarita. Chicken parm with a margarita, weird mix. Comfort food, maybe. Mm, wow. I guess if oh, I'm wow. dying the next day and I don't care about anything anymore, I'm going like enchiladas, <laughs> refried greens with mm-hmm, a lot of cheese. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah. Let's you want to be gassy right. on the Yeah, on the I do. Maybe you'll explode. Maybe you'll just explode instantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a King of the Hill episode where Dale gets sentenced to to the electric chair and he or, or to death and he he asks for like an extremely rare truffle so that they have to go hunt for it and it can bide his time so he can escape <laughs> prison. <laughs> and yeah, then Hanks confides in John Coffey. He says, like, uh, what should I do? You tell me what I should do. John. Tell me what you want me to do. You want me to take you out of here? Just let you run away? See how far you could get? Why would you do such a foolish thing? On the day of my judgment, when I stand before God, and he asks me why did I, did I kill one of his true miracles? What am I going to say? That it was my job. It's my job. You tell God the Father it was a kindness you done. 
I know you're hurting and worried. I can feel it on you. But you ought to quit on it now. I want it to be over and done with. I do. I'm tired, boss. I'm tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. I'm tired of never having me a buddy to be with, to tell me where we's going to, coming from, or why. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? Yes, John, I think I can. What does it mean to you all, the the like gift or the curse that he passes on to Tom Hanks' character? What yeah, is I that? Think, uh, for like longer life, you mean? Well, the, the vision that Tom Hanks gets oh, and the long, right. long life, yeah. Well, we're also talking about, you know, part of the discourse, you know, a contemporary discourse right now is, is you know, like policing. And in this movie where police are presented as being like, there's mm-hmm. four really dignified ones for every bad guy. You right. know, like, that yeah. is yeah. Yeah. But... That, that ending that you're talking about, Justin, is kind of interesting where, you know, his interpretation at the end, there's some ambiguity. He says, like, maybe I, w- I was complicit in this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that cur- the idea that this this might be a, a a curse is one that I think kind of uh, um, uh, uh, pushes against a lot of the uh, uh, perspective on policing from earlier, which is like, no, I, I was part of this. I was systemically part of this. This, I yeah. had, you know, I, I, it was well, an I, interesting aspect. Whether or not he killed a miracle is sort of irrelevant to me in that he's i mean uh he's pr- how long has he been doing this job how how many deaths has he assisted in mm-hmm. and right. as somebody who just doesn't agree with capital punishment as a concept to me that's punishment enough you know what i mean like whether he killed the modern day christ or not uh he probably killed 50 or more people before that mm-hmm. and assisted in that and so yeah i mean i think he's uh he's got plenty of worthy punishment for for that curse of his I do think the movie is is an incredible rebuke of of uh, capital punishment. Just uh, just a good anti death penalty movie. Sure. Overall, mm-hmm. just makes a great case for why it's such a terrible barbaric. Idea. It's mm-hmm. barbaric. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even even when it's going smoothly, you know, yeah. as smoothly as this movie on shows everybody, mm-hmm. not just. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, um, like early on, in like the first third, um, is the actor uh, Graham Greene. Yeah, um, he has like a really beautiful scene, uh, like with Hanks, where, where he talks about heaven being what? younger, and mm-hmm. that was the best time. Like that was the do you you know? It's essentially a, a conversation around like the idea of an afterlife and like what mm-hmm. it would be like to be your at your best or to be living your best, and. To me, it's like, oh, I kind of wish the movie, it's like, it's like that conversation could have like kind of turned Hank's character a little bit more, but it, it isn't until Michael Clark Duncan grabs his dick and cures his UTI, <laughs> does, it, does it seem like he starts to like, well, I should go talk to the lawyer who defend d- d- And I thought like there could have been a little bit more of a stair stepping yeah. of 
just the uh like his position in this world like uh-huh. I, I, a little bit of questioning beginning then and maybe maybe that was the intention but i just it didn't read as much it, it felt like it needed that big magical moment yeah. and then he started to kind of question things as opposed to seeing like like the point you're make you were making just of like earlier like well just se- seemingly he's been doing this for decades yeah uh, it would have been more powerful if just his interactions with John Coffey or his conversations with him led him to be suspicious of like, well, I don't think this man is a killer, you know? Yes. Be, uh, yeah, he, in that the, first the interaction magic. when they put him in his jail cell and he talks about being afraid of the dark and uh, he leaves an impression that like, huh, how is this guy a killer? Mm-hmm. You know, in stark contrast to someone like uh, Sam, uh, Sam Rockwell. Sam yeah. Rockwell. Yeah. To that uh, point, it might yeah. be it, they may have done it so we don't think about it too much from a movie yeah. standpoint. Because yeah. I, I I wonder how much the book goes into that in terms of character motivations and intentions. Because if you are a, a, a Christian man, which I think it implies that Tom Hanks is, and you are uh, assisting in capital punishing people to death, you would have to somehow come up with some sort of justification in your mind of what what you're doing is not breaking your agreement with God or faith. So he must have some sort of a thing, but maybe well, they don't want us think, to think about that in I, the same way that we don't actually ever get to know what a lot of these prisoners did either. Like we don't know what Delacroix did to get in there. Everybody's mm-hmm. on death row. And I look at Delacroix and I'm like, he's such a sweet man who plays with this mouse. But what if we found out that he like raped and murdered tons of people? Right. We, it would change our perspective. And so the, I think they don't really want us to think about that stuff so I that we can just enjoy the movie. I think there is a layer though to the movie of that it's in the depression that is also really important to why all of these people are doing this job. Mm-hmm. And it's like they don't have, there's no other jobs to be had. So like they, like Percy brings that up several times of like, you're so lucky to have this. You're going to be on the bread line if you don't have this job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that's also a layer of like where you're like, oh, okay, well, that's why they're having to do this horrible mm-hmm. job. Yeah, I think a more challenging filmmaker would would be interested in saying, uh, all right, I'm going to make a movie about these very decent security guards who are very decent to these prisoners. And in turn, the prisoners are very decent to them. But I'm going to at some point challenge you, the audience, to to wrestle with your own notions of their decency by then revealing to you uh, what they've really done or what their beliefs really are. And now you have to sort of like consider, oh, they're they're not quite as likable as I thought they were a minute ago. And the movie never does that. It never, other than Percy and Wild Bill, it never really forces you to 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 challenge any of the characters uh, as at face value. Right. Um, and then we get our, our final execution of John Coffey and he doesn't want the hood because he's afraid of the dark. This scene is really emotional. And they say any last words to the to the people in the crowd there hates him. They're almost like spitting at him. They want to see him die so much. And he says, I'm sorry for what I am. Barry Pepper is sobbing as oh, he's Barry watching Pepper's it. To the so point where good in this scene. Tom Hanks is literally has to be like, you need to clean yourself up a little bit. <laughs> Does Pepper uh, can we go on a little pepper tangent? Just Let's quickly? go on a pepper tangent. Pe- Pepper to me is one of these guys like I, I he's great in everything mm-hmm. you know I know I mentioned every I, I don't know if you've ever seen him uh in the Mickey Mantle Roger Maris 61 61 yeah. mm-hmm. he's awesome in that obviously awesome in Saving Private Ryan every, everything I've seen him in I, I feel like Pepper is one of these guys that like is it just like wrong year he couldn't get a supporting nod yeah, for wonder. some of this stuff or, mm-hmm. yeah and is he living in TV somewhere that we he just don't know he is living in TV now like I looked it up 
I think he's like doing what, like what's he up to? Yeah, a lot of he's these guys go like, to CSI, CSI and stuff. Sinise right, yeah. went to CSI. David he, Morse, I'm pretty sure, went to CSI. Big freaking check. Yeah, like, yeah. Can you imagine can how much him. money they're making? Mm-hmm. Right, where he's like, I can I can work like 24 weeks and make tons of money yeah. and not do one movie a year for <laughs> yeah. fifteen thousand dollars. Well, or... actually, Barry Pepper is not in TV. He is doing tons of movies, but just ones we're hearing about. We're not seeing. (laughs) Maybe he needs a rescue. He was in that movie Crawl. You remember that one? Oh, I saw Crawl. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The alligator. I don't know that one, but I just know the painted bird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not seeing a lot of looks of recognition, which is kind of shocking. Uh, (laughs) His his latest credit, which makes me sad, is Creed 3. Voice of Showtime All Access. Wow. I auditioned for that. <laughs> I'm pissed now. <laughs> Clearly had him. They knew they were going to go. Yeah, they knew they were yeah. going to go that way. <laughs> bring me in and they dangled the Voice of Showtime All Access. <laughs> and yeah, Hanks can't even call it at first. It takes him a minute mm-hmm. to do it. And before he does, he walks up and gives John Coffey one last handshake in the chair as he's strapped mm-hmm. to it. And he says, roll on too. And we and we sort of get to see him get get zapped for a minute, but what we see is all the lights explode around him, mm-hmm. slow motion. It's really cool. It's really poignant. And yeah, we get our final coda. We go back to the old folks' home, back to old age, and um, the woman who he's telling the story to, she's like, "There's just one thing. Like your timeline is totally off. Like there's mm-hmm. no possible way." And he's like, "Yeah." Let me go ahead and explain that to you. Yeah, I made and- all that up. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is one thing I find odd about just this placement. It would the 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 conceit of this would be it would be to me if like Jack started talking and very early on in this episode he goes, "This reminds me it's in, in 1952 <laughs> when I was saying, and then we listened to his whole story for like an hour, and then right now I go, "Hey Jack, just one thing." <laughs> You seem to be over- <laughs> <laughs> right. Jack tells the up. whole podcast. <laughs> hey, when we first started, when you were checking our levels, <laughs> I just did some quick math. It seems like you're 300 years old. Yeah. When you said you were an assistant to Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> well, his explanation isn't really proof of it either. He's like, can I show you something? He takes her out to the shed and he shows her Mr. Jingles. He could have found that mouse anywhere. 100%. Would you, would you it's not true. If, if the reveal was that the whole story was just fabricated and he was a senile old man. <laughs> yeah. I it, well, I just, so it, I, it's, it's just a big I, pile I, of shit on the floor. <laughs> he just points, he opens the shed. He's like, That's where I've been stuffing them. <laughs> I get my cold toast and I have my diapers. Over that there. would be the M Night Shyamalan twist. Yeah. It's yeah. just like this is his shit. And shed. now she has to escape the shed. <laughs> I I do remember when we watched together. We all were like, "How does that prove anything?" It doesn't like, prove a thing. <laughs> yeah, the mouse. It's not like he's. I mean, it would never be this, but like, it's not like the mouse has like a long gray beard or something, and it's like. <laughs> and an also, I want to know, like, did he? <laughs> did he run away from his family? Like, okay, his wife died, but like his child was Dead. his child. Like, you're outgrowing me. Does he tell the story to? everybody in his family is he like hopping old folks home he's like, so like a little a vampiric right yeah. he's like a little yeah. bit of a vampire i mean i think it's just implied situation. that everybody he's ever known and loved he's just had to watch die 
Because you literally see her die too. He goes to her funeral in this he little does. montage yeah. at yes. the end. Yeah. But it works on me because this is the other yes. moment that like made me go. He says, he infected me with life. It's my atonement, you see, my punishment for letting John Coffey ride the lightning. <laughs> ride the lightning. I forgot that he uses the term "ride the lightning" there, and I love that that it that it like cross dissolves between the 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 green mile in this in the cell block to the green floor of his nursing home, and he says, "What frightens me is if he can make a mouse live so long. How much longer do I have? We each owe a death. There are no exceptions. I know that, but sometimes, oh God, the green mile is so long." It's pretty bleak, yeah. It's but it's powerful. I was, I, yeah, I, yeah. It, it suddenly like hit me of like we're all in the fucking green mile, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. much as I think yeah. that the bookends are silly and cheesy and stupid, that ending does really well, work yeah. for me. And and right. honestly, the shot of Mister Jingles curled up in that little uh, well, kinda, cigar bar. It also goes mm-hmm. back to Nick's fear that he brought in is like this green mile. Is actually can be really short too. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> it's the reverse of what he's going through. Um, yeah, again, it's uh, yeah the the entire framework. I realize it doesn't even matter within that framework of an old person telling a story and then coming back. It doesn't to me the execution doesn't matter. It will work yeah. no matter the execution. Or what <laughs> yeah. happens. it just has to work. It is just like yeah. <laughs> mostly just because of your existential fear of this very specific situation happening to you. <laughs> Fear of time madness, almost. <laughs> yeah. Of time going mad. Uh, I guess maybe <laughs> You hear about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You're like, oh no 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 no! I can't! I can't! I can't! I can't! I can't! I can't. I'll never sleep. I'll never sleep. <laughs> Nick jump cut to seventy. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, you'd have to admit that would be really scary. Yeah, Horrified. yeah, yeah. Terrifying. Horrified. You woke up on your I'm fully Absolutely. on board. Yeah, I totally agree. And no I'm, one I, that you knew in your life was there. You didn't right. know yes. anybody. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> to bring it back, it's a, a little big, like it's a little hang. Oh thing. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, J- Jack. Sorry, you were you were saying something? I think right. We were, well, no, that's the end of the film. That's that, that's, that okay, concludes that's the up. the yeah. three hour and ten minute Green Mile. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with final thoughts on the Green Mile. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed. We are talking final thoughts on Frank Darabont and Stephen King's The Green Mile. Nick and Gio, I'm going to start with you two. Final thoughts. How do you feel about this having recently viewed it? You know, I I, there, I think you're right. There is an earnestness to it, which is probably its greatest strength and greatest flaw. Mm. Um, and uh, 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 and I enjoyed talking about, as we were talking about all these, these like set pieces, I did think they were just like really effectively done set pieces and a lot of great filmmaking around the body. 
I think like mm-hmm. so much of this, uh, uh, that's talking about like, corporal punishment. It's a very corporeal movie, you know, piss and <laughs> yeah, we're on fire. Our skin is bubbling. Yeah. We're te- we're petting a mouse. I thought I thought that's that's one thing that I I took from its uh, uh, storytelling. I, I agree with what Nick said. I, you know, I think like when it works, it really works. Um, there are some just kind of like saccharine things that maybe just like hit me a little differently at this age than other when, when I was uh seeing it when I was younger. I I I think I feel about the same way I felt when I watched it a few years ago and maybe it's reductive to compare it to Shawshank. I just think of Shawshank as like, that's like a movie that like, if I'm flipping through, yeah, like I'm often going to like, wherever I'm jumping in, I'm going to watch that mm-hmm. whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't say the same about green, green mile. Um, I'm not even sure if it's in my top five Hanks. Uh, mm. um, mm-hmm. So uh, that said, love Barry Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> He's the I star for Pepper. you. Uh, yeah, he is a star, and I, and I do think like when it when it works, it, it does work. There are some re- really good moments, and obviously Frank Darabont's like he's 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 great at what he does. I, I have a theory that I just thought of at our, at our break. I was like, why is it on AMC so much? And I remember recently reading that Frank Darabont uh, had like a very like high profile lawsuit with AMC over The Walking Dead and That's right. participation, mm-hmm. and he ended up suing with CAA AMC for like something around like 300 million dollars they wow. did side with him uh and he worked you know worked on the first like couple of seasons uh, uh, of it um and the the story that I think that they had told was that he was like fired because of like these creative differences and he was difficult uh but what actually what came out was that they were trying to squeeze more out of the show for less money they were Mm. trying to reduce the budgets by large percentages while working them more uh which ties directly into what we're (laughs) we're dealing with uh, as a a collective um so uh my uh my crackpot theory is that part of the 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 payout is they're showing (laughs) green off to show this 16 hours of, of the day uh that's my that's my wrap up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And watching the behind the scenes stuff, I'd never really known what Frank Darabont looked like or sounded like. I'd never really like investigated him as a person. He seemed fun and cool to me. He was younger than I expected when he made this movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought he was cool. Justin, final thoughts. Green Mile. I love it. And to me, I mean, I think I could I can justify that love strictly just based on the cast and the performances mm. alone. Uh, I could ignore all the rest of the critiques that we all have that are valid. I do agree with Gio that Shawshank is a much better film and I will always choose that over this. But I do see them as two distinct products. I don't, other than the prison setting and the Darabont factor, I don't really think of them as, as one or the other. So I get something different from Green Mile and I get... A lot of love. And I think the spiritual component of Green Mile is very interesting to me, even though it's there's some baggage to that with the Christian stuff, unlike signs, which the religious message is faith. Mm-hmm. This is the religious message message is love, you know, love conquers mm-hmm. all. And just to see a bunch of men who are typically displayed in movies like this as brutal or emotionless or cold and showing how much capacity they have for compassion i thought is so powerful that i i'm i'm very 
enamored with the movie because of that. Hmm. Corey? Yeah, I would agree with Justin. I think what works for me for this movie is the sincerity of the the portrayal of the men characters, especially because you would think they would be like brutal as all working in this very scary setting. Um, but they're all so caring and sweet. So that really works for me in the movie. I do think because comparing it to like Shawshank and I agree, they do have very different feelings, but we just also really recently rewatch Shawshank and like, mm-hmm. damn, that movie, I couldn't stop thinking about that movie in comparison to this because of that. And so I think that is why also maybe this movie felt extra cheesy to me um, was because I was kind of looking at it through that lens. But I mean, it still all works. It went by fast. The three hours did not knock me. Um, I think Tom Hanks is, you know, he's incredible in this. I think all of the performances are incredible. So I think it's a good time. I think it's a movie that's meant to be watched every couple years. It's not a, it's, I agree with Gia. Like I would not, probably stop on this movie if it was on TV as where like if Shawshank's on I'm probably watching it every time I see it on Shawshank TV like I just want to know I'll yeah always. the mummy <laughs> yeah love the mummy also oh, 1999 yeah. oh, we, that's true we that's true, recently yeah. rewatched that for a Patreon episode and I gotta say I disagree my friend <laughs> um, but just yeah just to tie it back my mom's favorite movie as well The Mummy wow The Mummy wow text wow. about it often she'll text me it's a mummy kind of day and she'll be watching <laughs> that's, that's sweet. the sweetest thing I've ever heard showed, on the day that we were doing the podcast I saw someone in front of me had a bumper sticker on their car that said I'd rather be watching The Mummy <laughs> that is crazy. so crazy too <laughs> That's so, so funny. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Corey. You had it. You were um, but that's pretty much it. I mean, I think the it works for me. I cried multiple times in the movie. It's sweet. It is for sure problematic watching from today's standard at some spots, but you know, you can't you can't help but have a little a little warmth mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. the old green Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting <laughs> to one thing I'd never really considered that it only just popped in as you were talking is that, you know, Shawshank is about the prisoners and the mm. Green Mile is about the guards. Damn, well said, well said. Part of, <laughs> you know, and, and Shawshank is very grounded and, and, and Green Mile is very fantastical. And part of what's fantastical about it is, is, is like Justin pointed out, that we're going we're gonna to showcase people that you might typically be represented as like, bad guys or brutal to the characters we're going to we're going to we're going to depict them as decent men and that therein lies the the struggle the contradiction of this movie because the the realities are so different that it it's almost sort of like a slap in the face for people when it's like yeah you you, you wrote a really sweet character with John Coffey but how stereotypical is it you know and and, and it, who is he benefiting in this movie. He's not benefiting himself. He's benefiting the white people. This feels like a slap in the face. I'm sure it equally feels like a slap in the face when you're depicting the guards as being the most decent, sweet people in the world. cab, baby, all cops are bastards. And so it's like most in most cases in real life, these guards are vicious towards people. Whereas something like Shawshank is very easy to wrestle with. You're siding with the prisoners who are getting taken advantage of by the guards. and are, The guards are very clearly the bad guys in that movie. But again, it's like what I love about the movie as well is that it has this sort of sweet emotional tone. It works. It's really powerful and effective stuff. So it's like, I think Shawshank is a better film, but 
it don't have Tom Hanks and it doesn't mm-hmm. have David Morris and it doesn't have Michael Clark Duncan. It has Tim Robbins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I like the guy, but he ain't Tom Hanks. It has Morgan Freeman. I love Morgan Freeman too, but for whatever reason, the Green Mile has always had an extra pull mm. to me. And maybe a little bit of that is the fact that it's it's embracing this more theatrical, over-the-top modeling tone that in ways is more attractive to me or at least more like rewatchable to me than something like The Shawshank Redemption. So while I can acknowledge that Shawshank is a tighter movie and probably ultimately a better movie, I think I'm a, I think I'm a Green Mile guy and I think I always have been. Wow. Yes. I love the movie. I'm glad to own it. I'm probably not going to upgrade my DVD copy anytime soon. I'm happy with the transfer and uh, I, I like to revisit it. It's not a five-star movie to me, but it's a solid three and a half. It's just a good it's just a solid little good movie. It's a perfect cable movie to me. Mm. Nice. Well, Very now nice. that we've said everything there is to say about the Green Mile, what do you say we play the Tom Hanks Quiz? Since Tom Hanks has brought us all together so many times before, I wanted to test the knowledge of you four about America's undisputed dad. Is that a nickname for him? I feel like I've heard him called that before. <laughs> Much to think- the dismay of Tim Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, would Corey, would you consider Tom Hanks a DILF? No. Me neither. Sorry. <laughs> He's hitting that D a little too hard. Yeah, the- he just has pure dad energy. <laughs> He's handsome, but no. Okay, Tom Hanks quiz. This is not multiple choice, although there is one multiple choice question. <laughs> okay. but for the most okay. part, you just got to know it. Please call out your name first if you can, uh, and then say your answer. Okay. Question number one. Tom Hanks has a particular affinity for collecting what type of antique Anthony. machine? I got Corey. <laughs> Anthony, I heard you. Typewriters. <laughs> Points for Geo. <laughs> And wrote a book about it, which I think we we get we get at one point. Mm-hmm. Gave Uncommon you guys for type. Yeah. Uncommon yeah. type. He has a new book out. Autographed. That's autographed. right. Yeah, That's we, right. We got a Hanks autographed copy. Question number two. In 2015, Tom Hanks starred in a music video for a song titled "I Really Like You." For what Canadian singer songwriter? Justin The Weeknd. <laughs> but that's a good guess for a Canadian. Uh, the song title is I Really Like You. Uh, Justin, Celine it, Dion. No, Anthony. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is it Drake? I'll give you a hint. It's a girl. I only know oh, oh Corey, Corey, Corey. Carly <laughs> Rae Jepsen. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Oh, I didn't know she I was I really, kidding. really, 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 mm-hmm. really, really like you. That song is great. <laughs> and honestly, that entire album is a bop. <laughs> yeah, she, she's a hit maker. Question number three. What chronic health condition did Tom Hanks share with the late actor Wilford Brimley? Diabetes. Which kind? Is he type two? You got it! Oh! I was going to say type one. I was imagining locking in type two, all the lights coming down, and who wants to be a millionaire? Would you like to phone a friend? Uh, Okay, so two points for Gio, one point for Corey. Nick and Justin, you got to catch up. You're getting fried over here. (laughs) Question number four. Now, here's the multiple choice question. Okay. 
Tom Hanks famously lost 30 pounds for his Oscar-winning role in Philadelphia. But which of these movies required Tom Hanks to gain 30 pounds? Corey, wait, do we even I, need wait, it? Wait, wait. I don't even know if we need this multiple choice. Yeah, we don't need multiple choice. I want to okay. hear from Justin. <laughs> Go for it, Justin. <laughs> Castaway. What? Oh, my guess was also Castaway. Do you want to hear the multiple choices now? No. Well, I, I want Nick Actually, to guess. Jack, I do. Jack, I do. <laughs> no, now we have to just see if everybody no, can guess. Jack, I do. Okay, okay. Uh, go ahead, Nick. Do you want to guess first? No, I want the multiple choices. <laughs> if everybody guess. Okay. Every, everybody has to guess first, and if you all guess wrong, then I'll do the multiple choices, and you'll get one more round to try. Okay. I'm going to say Elvis. Okay. Nick, Nick, Elvis. Uh, I'm going to say Captain Phillips. Okay, multiple Big. choice. Wow, multi- and it was a Toy go. Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be hard. That's why I made this a multiple yeah, choice. Yeah, you were right. We're, fu- <laughs> we're fools. Okay. We're fools. You, some of this is you're going to know already because you've said some of these. So A, okay. Elvis. B, A League of Their Own. C, Castaway. Or D, Cloud Atlas. Corey, B, League of Their Own. Corey's correct. Oh. He had to gain 30 pounds. Can you believe wow. that? He was asked to gain 30 pounds for a league of their own. For a league of their own. For wow. a league of their own. And Tom Hanks actually said that's where he thinks he got tired to diabetes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Because his, his, um, his uh, food of choice to gain the weight was simply ice cream. Oh, he said course, he just yeah. ate he ate ice cream for every single meal. He gained the thirty pounds, and it was like shortly Dreams. after that. This that is he my got dream diagnosed. come true. My dream what? come true. Going going full of Christian Bale for a league of your own. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to me, it's like I don't think of his weight at all when it comes uh, to that. So it no, he must have just been like really skinny, and maybe they wanted to like schlub him up a little yeah. bit more or something. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, question <laughs> number five. Tom Hanks has appeared in eight films that have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, but only one movie took home the prize. Which movie? Gio. Forrest Gump. Ding, ding, ding! Gio's leading the pack. Three points. Realizing that you would be a great person to bring along on a trivia night. Okay. Okay. I'll accept that invite. Gio's proving himself as a true Hanks head today. Final... Geo's out here whooping my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Was that Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> yeah, Geo's out here. He's Geo's uh, whooping my ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question of the Tom Hanks quiz. Comedian Connor Ratcliffe was cast and then fired from the series Band of Brothers because Tom Hanks said he had dead what? eyes. What is dead eyes? Nick. Gets the point, but does not win. <laughs> In the form of a question. Geo wins the Tom Hanks quiz. But at least he got on the board. Wow. Why is this the only one where the last question isn't worth Because all the I forgot to I do know, it. I know, Justin, I was just about to ask that because Nick, usually the last question is worth ten all points, points always. I so think technically it would have been so much funnier to end with Nick. It would have been, but I forgot to do it. I forgot to do it. I was well, robbed. She puts um, the points in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> she puts the points in the basket. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Cinema Possessed to talk one of our favorite Tom Hanks experiences. We watched it once before with y'all. It was exciting to watch it again and talk about it with you here. Thank you so much for coming on this pod. Do Anything you guys want to plug? plug? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to plug the uh, Entertainment Community Fund. It's uh, it's formerly known as the Actors Fund, but it supports um, any out of work uh, person. Uh, uh, you know, particularly with the the work stoppages that are happening right now with with the the strike. You can go to uh, Entertainment Community Fund, or excuse me, EntertainmentCommunity.org, uh, and there are, um, yeah, there are funds available for folks if you happen to be listening. Hell yeah! Or you can pass cool. them along. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Well, that, my friends, is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. Our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get these things. And Justin, what movie will we be talking about next week? Next week, we're talking about 1998's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Ooh, Hunter S. Thompson, the disgraced Johnny Depp. How will it hold up? You'll have to tune in and find out, folks. How long has it been since you guys have seen that movie, or have you ever seen? Oh it? Oh my gosh, high school, high school, high yeah, school. That's same probably the same for me. Yeah, maybe college, maybe it was. Uh, yeah, but long, yeah, it's been a while. Well, as always, folks, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>